bored of the same old music? Weekend Offender Radio pulls together an eclectic mix of classic tunes, bangers and anthems. Join us for our classic hip-hop evenings, house party sessions on Friday and Saturday nights and chilled out sets for the Sunday morning headache. Last night a DJ saved my life from a broken heart. Hold it down, boy. Your head's getting blurred. I know you can't stop thinking of her. Visit radio.weekendoffender.com. Welcome to the Talk Derby to Me podcast. I'm Blake Fallows. Today's episode is the first part of our live chat at the Belling Castle in Derby with former Rams defender Mark O'Brien, who's got a very interesting story. It was, it was an emotional evening. We had a laugh towards the end, but it was an emotional chat about his two open heart surgeries. His retirement from football at just 27 years old and his journey. I don't like using that term journey. When I used to work with Tim Lovejoy, he used to uh, he used to tell me off for using the term journey. Like I'm on the X Factor. What a journey. But he has had one hell of a journey, so we'll get to that shortly. Thank you to Sky Recruitment Solutions for sponsoring the podcast as ever. Really appreciate the support. Go and check them out. Sky Recruitment Solutions, Ripley on Facebook, check them out because they've supported us. The first part of this podcast is Mark talking through his career, his life and what he's been through. Here he is. I started football in Ireland and um, playing for my local team and when I was back in Ireland, um, Derby was the team that, that came in and wanted me to sign for them. Um, I was more than happy to do it. I flew over when I was 15. And in that same season, obviously, I went from the under-16s to the 18s to the reserves and straight into the force team. It was probably the best year that I could have ever dreamed of. And I hit the ground running. So I wanted to come back for pre-season. And when I came back for pre-season, I had like a medical medical routine scan and that's when we found out the very first problem to what happened and um, the doctor told me I had like a leak in aortic valve and at the time I think it was me being 16 and just loving football I, like I didn't know what it was I just said oh can I still play and he said yeah you can still play but you might need an operation in 40 years time so I thought in 40 years time football would be long gone everything would be completely done and dusted and my career me, me career will be finished so then more tests got done more things happened and they found out that I was progressively getting worse and as they found out I was progressively getting worse I ended up um, not really understanding it but then knowing that there just something wasn't quite right so my family flew over and then there was me my mum my dad and the Derby physio at the time sitting in a waiting room and then we remember the doctor came in and the doctor came in with a model heart in his hand and he sat down on his desk straight away and he just basically said to me, he was like, look, your heart is three times the size of what it should be and if you don't get the operation done this year, you're going to die. And at that time, I kind of looked at him and I was like, it didn't feel like he was talking to me, 
I just really like kind of was shocked. But again, being sixteen and I was so naive about it, I, all I asked him was, "Can I still play football?" And I think that went in my favour being so young because I didn't understand what open heart surgery was. I didn't understand what a leak in the aortic valve was. I didn't. It didn't register to me. So the doctor told me that um, I'd be lucky to play professionally. He told me I'd be lucky to kick a ball down the park with my friends again. Um, he told me that if I have the operation, it'll probably be a guarantee of a year to a maximum of five years of playing, but there'll be no guarantee that you'll actually make it back professionally because the standards or the stress of, of training every day is something that he said will be really strenuous on your heart and we're, we're unsure. But he said you can give it your best shot. And once I heard that, to give it my best shot, I thought, Right, what's the, what's the worst that can happen? I'm going to give it everything. Once I can still play, I'm going to give it everything. And then it was eight months after the operation, I ended up getting back to playing with the under-18s and I made the first team bench by the end of that season. So that kind of turned everything around there and then for me. It, it kind of made a subconscious decision in my head that no matter what came in my way through the rest of my career, I know if I can get back from open-heart surgery, I'm going to be able to get back from everything else. And... That's that's kind of how my career panned out because at Derby, unfortunately, um, I ended up picking up like some serious injuries here. I had a crucial ligament injury. I ended up having a microfracture injury all in the same knee, and they were two years apart. So I nearly had two years out of football, where inside it was killing me. But I knew if I can get back from the heart surgery, the knee isn't going to be an issue. I have doctors telling me crucial ligaments can end the career. I thought, well, if I can get back from open heart surgery, I can get back from this. So there was always that mentality in me to kind of keep keep overcoming things. No matter what was thrown at me, which there was a lot thrown at me, once I came back from one thing, the next thing became easier. And that was my whole mentality. And now there was times, I'm not going to lie, where I did doubt myself sometimes. I think it's natural to sit and doubt yourself about things. But I thought... Do you know what? I've got good people around me. I'm going to keep progressing through. And obviously, my career didn't go as the planned as what I would have starting at 16, making my debut at Derby. But again, I made the best of a bad situation. And then I remember having the likes of Nigel Clough who, again, I don't think if it was for him, I probably would have never had a football career because he stood by me through everything. He gave me contracts when I needed help. He checked in with me family, he checked in with me, he just made sure everything felt as comfortable as possible. And when you have a manager like that, you want to get back and give everything for. So he was another like factor of, of, of why things ended up getting myself back to full fitness. But again, Steve McLaren came in, which he had different ideas. Um, I didn't agree with his ideas because he wanted to get rid of me, but <laughs> he had different ideas. So I went up to Scotland for a year and... When I went to Scotland for a year, it was a completely different experience. I ended up playing 20 odd times in the SPL, but again, Derby was still in my heart because I've been through so much there. And it opened my eyes to a lot to kind of say, okay, football is a game of opinions. Because I signed there under Stuart McCall at the time. And four or five months into my loan deal, he ended up leaving and a new manager came in. Which then the new manager who came in looked at looked at it and said, "Okay, I want my own players in, and this is what I want for my team." So I started to slowly understand that football is a massive game of opinions. But again, I wanted to prove the manager wrong to say, "Okay, if you want to drop me out of your team, I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to give you that option." So again, playing in Scotland was great. 
I had like some great memories there. I always said I wanted to play at Celtic. Well, I always wanted to be at Celtic Park to watch Celtic play in a European night. And the first time ever in the stadium was playing against Celtic. And a moment like that for me, like I'm warming up and I'm singing all the Irish songs along in the warm bed. It was the best. It was the best feeling ever. But again, I ended up moving on from Motherwell because again the manager had different ideas. So again, it was a bit of a time back in Dublin and I didn't really have too many phone calls from teams wanting to sign me and I was starting to worry to think where am I going to go next what am I going to do next and luckily enough Luton got in touch um, with me and I flew over to Luton and I signed a two year deal uh, with Luton Town at the time and again I was under a manager John Still who was there and he signed loads of players and I was in and out of the team we had a massive squad so it was kind of difficult but I was in and out of the team it was it was going okay and then again a manager changes and I know at this point it probably sounds like I'm getting every manager sacked but I promise you I'm not <laughs> but again manager changes but this manager had a completely different outlook on how to treat players and this opened my eyes so much in football that at the time I was there, the manager told me, okay, you can train with us each day. And then he told me after four months of being there, get yourself out on loan, get fit, and when you come back, we'll see where you're at. So I went out to Southport at the time. I went out on loan to Southport in the conference, and starting at Derby to see myself in the conference, I was taking a lot of hits on my confidence because I was. it's not a place you want to be because you look at yourself and go, I used to play at Derby County. Like, what am I doing in the conference? But you have to kind of put that to one side and I was the kind of person that was, no matter who wanted to give me the opportunity of playing, I'm going to give it 100% no matter where it is because you was like giving me the opportunity and I want to prove myself. So I went and played seven games at Southport. They ended up beating relegation. The fans really enjoyed having me there. The manager who was there really looked after me. So then I went back to Luton full of confidence again thinking, right, I might get an opportunity. The manager again had me travelling on a Tuesday night, we played Carlisle away, which is very, very far and very cold. And we played Carlisle away, and there was me, uh, there was me who travelled with the squad. And the manager pulled me before the meeting and said, "You're 19th man today. You're sitting in the stand." So I kind of took it on the chin, and I thought to myself, "Okay, I'll, I'll bide my time." So then went back into China Wednesday tours. They we travelled to Hartlepool, which is even further again, on the Friday. But again, he tells me on the Saturday, <clears throat> yeah, nineteenth man. And at that point, I had to sit and have a meeting with him. I was saying like, what's what's actually going on here? Because it's all to go on loan. I'm fully fit. Two years at the half are injured, and you have an eighteen year old on the bench. I said, what is the problem? He said, it's a business. And at that point, I kind of looked at him and I thought, I'm being chosen off, like, I'm, I've, I'm not getting treated as a person here, I'm getting treated as an asset. And that's something that was totally different to me because no matter what manager I've ever played under, I was always treated as a person which made you feel comfortable and this time was the first time I didn't feel comfortable. So, I came back in for that pre-season thinking, clean slate, new season. And straight away, very first day, pulled me into the office and told me my squad number is gone and I'm on the transfer list. Again, I sat and asked him, I was like, what's, what's going on? Like, what's, what's with the decision? He turned around and said to me again, it's a business. I want to bring players in. We need to get rid of you to get other players in. 
So this is where football got really difficult for me because I wasn't allowed training with the force team. I had to train with the academy. And as I was training with the academy, the force team flew away in pre-season. And then at the same time, the academy flew away in pre-season. And obviously I wasn't going to travel with the academy either. So I had to do pre-season by myself. And I had to go into the training ground every single day. Train by myself every single day. And I had to try and keep some sort of confidence in myself that was really, really took a massive hit that I didn't understand why. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to just keep myself pressing on. I'm going to just keep myself going. And then they came back from pre-season and I still made sure every day I came in smiling. As much as I was hurting and as much as I was torn up inside, I made sure I kept coming in smiling every single day. Made sure I shook the manager's hand to let him know I'm still there. But again, I was still inside. I was like really, really low. And then it came to transfer deadline day, just before the season started. And the manager phoned me up and said, okay, we're looking to give you X amount of money to live. I said, I can't live. So me and him had a few discussions back and forward. And I said, I really can't leave. I said, I'm living away from home. I said, I've got an apartment to pay for. I said, and you're expecting me to pack up and just travel the country to try and find a club. And he started explaining, I can get you in at this club and that club. And I said, but you could have told me this at the start of pre-season. I said, and you chose not to. I said, so I don't have to leave. So he, he started to try and play a few mind games saying, do you not back yourself? Do you not trust in yourself to get a different club? And I said, I do. But also, I don't need to take that risk. I still have a year left here. And for whatever reason, we had a more of an argument back and forward. And he told me he's not the type of manager who's going to bring you in seven days a week. And what I said to him was, if you bring me in seven days a week, you'd be doing me a favour. I do nothing on my days off. And anyway, which I don't think it was a comment that he quite liked. But again, I had to come in every single day. So then I got to the point where this is what I mean about taking the step back that I took on to Southport because it really did pay off for me. Because at the time, it got to January and I had six months of not playing football, six months of training with academy kids, with the odd session with the force team if somebody got injured. And I sent out a message to Dino Marmaria, who was the Southport manager but he turned out to be assistant manager at Newport County. So I sent him a text to say, is there any chance you could get me into Newport County? And what he said to me was, just leave it with me. Are you fit? And I said, yeah. Now I knew I didn't play a game for six months. I think he knew the same. But he knew what I could do because I took the opportunity of taking that step back to Southport to know what I could do on a match day. So I got a text off Graham Wesley to ask to meet me in a hotel in London. I said no problem. And people who don't know Graham Wesley, he's, some, he's someone where um, you kind of have to pick yourself up really, really big and show you have a lot of confidence for him to believe in you because he's all about mental strength. So I was really down and out on confidence and I had a lot of people saying, if he asks you, what do you want to do with your career? You can't say I want to be the best player in the league too. You have to say I want to be the best player in England. I have to be the best player in the world. Like, you have to have that mentality for him to believe in you. So I sat and spoke with him, and he, he kind of looked at me up and down and said, okay, so what can you bring to the team? And I said, well, I'm sure you've heard loads about me already, um, but I will give you everything, and that's all that I ever do. Whatever short I put on, I said, I'll make sure I'll give you everything. And he said, I'll get me, I'll get the best out of you, and 
to give you a little background on Graham Wesley, his force words to me was, I'm, I'm a kind of a Jose Mourinho slash Sir Alex Ferguson type manager. <laughs> so when you hear him saying that, you kind of sit there and you, you take it with a pinch of salt, but understand it and say, okay, if you're thinking of yourself like that, I wanted to say I'm like Rio Ferdinand, but I couldn't. But again, there was something where I started that I had to actually have that self-belief in myself again. I had to stand there and kind of, like everyone does, you put a face on and you had to show that your confidence from the outside when inside I was dying. And I, he stood in front of me and said, okay, we're in the relegation zone. We're going to pay you till the end of the season. But if we get relegated, you're not getting a contract and you won't get paid in your off-season. But if we stay up, there's a contract here for you and you get your off-season pay. And to me, looking back at it now, it was the best decision I made, but at the time I was thinking this is the biggest gamble I could ever make. But because I knew I had a small bit of confidence in myself and I had to prove a point, I just stood in front of him, I put my hand out and he put his hand out and he shook there and then. So I had that meeting with him on the Wednesday and I was back in, I was training with Newport on the Friday, straight into play on the Saturday. And then from six months of not playing, I had six months on playing 22 games in League 2. And then at the end of that season, I ended up scoring a goal in the 89th minute for Newport County that saved them from that relegation. And we won 2-1. And that is something where I look at moments like that and say, that moment was meant for me. In the most selfish way possible, that moment was meant for me because I never gave up. And the fact that I never gave up and I believed in myself, that was something that led me on to a career at Newport that I still hold as close as I do to Derby. They stood by me through a lot. And we went on joint killing sprays in the FA Cup. We got to the fifth round. We played at Wembley twice. I got the captain of the team at Wembley. And all of these things were all because I looked at myself and said, I'm never going to give up. And that was the main thing that I took from everything was, no matter what adversity came my way, no matter what was going to happen to me, I never gave up. And I remember we played Luton at the end of that season and the manager wouldn't even come over and shake my hand and I just thought to myself, you know what, I know that I've done myself proud there because he couldn't look at me to see how well I've done. But then, as you know that I am retired and I'm sitting up here, retired two years now, because in the very first lockdown, I had, um, during COVID, I ended up having to do like a three-week training session because we didn't know how long COVID was going to last when football stopped. So as I was doing training and cycling each day, I got this really random and harsh palpitation in my chest, which at the time didn't really pay too much attention to it, but I could feel it was worrying me. So I spoke with the club doctor, which... During COVID, it was hard to get any sort of scans around hospitals and it was hard to do anything. So the doctor done a few calls for me and I went in and had the routine scan again because something just wasn't right. So then I'm sitting in the doctor's office again, but no family, no friends, no one's allowed in there, only herself. And the doctor came in and he said, Mark, your valve is leaking quite badly again. And that's when it hit me and I just went to complete silence and just burst into tears. Because I knew my career is finished. I knew football is over. I knew there's more open heart surgery. And it was the first time that I actually burst into tears. 
And the doctor, in all fairness to him, tried to pick me back up and tell me everything's okay. There's, there's procedures out there as we can do. But I always knew, in my mind, at 16, I was always going to have two different surgeries. One that was going to play and hopefully give me the best chance of playing football. And the next one was for the rest of my life. And I knew whenever that moment was, year after year, I had to have heart scans after every last season I played, which nobody knew. And I never knew which was going to be my last year. I would have a scan every single season. Even if I had a three-year deal, I might have only been able to do one year of that, but nobody else knew. It was just something that I had to carry with me my whole career. So then all of a sudden I found out I needed this second open heart surgery. Family flew over. And I found myself just getting really, really more down. And it was something that I thought, well, I'm, I'm well prepared for this. I've had it for 11 years now. I should know everything. I should feel fully prepared. And I just really wasn't. I was crying every second day. I was feeling so low. But again, I had to put the retirement to one side and concentrate thinking, okay, I need open heart surgery again. When I got admitted into the hospital, it was, um, it was really difficult because no one can come visit you. It was during COVID, so everyone was a FaceTime away, which is great to think I used the technology right to say I'm a FaceTime away from family. But again, when I was in the hospital, no one can come visit. And it was the night before the operation. This is something that I've only been able to really open and talk about recently. Is that the night before the operation, I, I broke into sweats and I had to get an ECG machine in and they spoke to me and I had to get moved onto the main ward, which I didn't know why. And I remember the doctor came in and he told me that there might be an infection in and around the valve that's leaking. So they're, so they're going to be doing tests overnight to make sure everything's going to go smoothly for the next day. But he also said, your valve was hanging on so, so thinly. And he said, we had somebody in two weeks ago that has the same condition as yourself. And if his valve clipped off for whatever reason, and he said, if it circulates around your body and gets lodged in your brain, you could die. And once I heard that, at 27, you understand every last word. I wasn't 16 again and being naive to think, can I play football? I was, I was laying in bed for a full night thinking, what happens if I don't wake up? And at that time, it was, it was something that lived with me for so long and I kept in for so long because I just never knew how to explain that to people because it is a difficult thing to explain to people. But then also, I woke up the next day the doctor came in and basically goes, Mark, there's no infection. We can give you the open heart surgery. And honestly, if I could have jumped up and ran around the room and celebrated because somebody told me they can give me open heart surgery. But again, I knew it was there to save me. And that's all. That was the news that I wanted to hear. From what was scaring me for so long, I actually was desperate to have it because I knew the significance of what it was. So I had the surgery. I spent four weeks in hospital, which were okay, you have to go out on your slow walks and steadily build yourself up, which was fine. And then I came out of hospital. But this time I really struggled because once I came out of hospital, I was struggling a lot with anxiety. I was struggling a lot with mental health issues. I was struggling a lot with depression because of the retirement. And these are all things that I've never experienced before because I never understood what depression was, what anxiety is, what health anxiety is, what panic attacks are. 
because I remember I was sitting on the sofa one day, I get really lightheaded, I start sweating, not knowing why, and my first thought is, something's not right in my chest, I had to go lay down, but then I wouldn't want to go sit on my sofa for like three, four weeks, because I was too scared to sit in that one specific spot thinking, if I sit there, it's going to happen again, and I knew my mind was slowly playing tricks on me, and it was something that I really struggled with. So I had to go through every last avenue of, I've done counselling, I've done um, cognitive behavioural therapy, CBT, I've, I've done a lot of reaching out to people who can relate to me, but again I had so much on my plate, I had the pandemic which everyone has dealt with, how difficult that was, I had the retirement from football and I also had a relationship at the time that was really going downhill because of, of my depression. And I'm sitting here as a single man, so we kind of know how that one ended. But again, I had to go through all these things to be in the position that I am now. But the one thing that I took from it all was I actually allowed people in to help me. The one time that I actually needed people to help me, everyone was there for me. And I took great pride in knowing that the people there for me. Because before, like you say, but you're a captain of a team, you're... You're somebody who you want to be a leader for people. You want to be the person that people come to, not be. And for me, thinking I'm a burden on people, I allowed people to, to be there and help me. And that was something that deep down inside me, I, I, I have so many thanks to give to so many people. But then also, having that thanks to give to people, that's why I do what I do now, is to go out and get comfortable in speaking, get comfortable in saying how vulnerable I was, getting comfortable in speaking about the serious situations. Because everybody, even sitting in this room to anyone in the day-to-day life, everybody will deal with certain depressions or anxieties. Mine came because of retirement from football. Mine came because open-heart surgery. Now, they seem extreme, and it doesn't. I'm not saying you need to have them things to go through what I've gone through, but everyone goes through the exact same things. So everybody is on the same level. But if I can use a certain platform that people have given me to come out and express that, I want to go do that because I know I want to give back to what people gave to me. So then that's why when I've gone through what I've had to go through, and that's why where I'm at right now, coming out and doing public speaking, helping academies, helping young lads in football, and helping people in their day-to-day life, if that means me having to put myself in a vulnerable position to do that, I'm more than happy to do that because I know I'm giving back to so many people to what they gave to me. And my whole thing that I've lived off for the last 11, 12, 14 years is that every situation I've been involved in, it's a sink or swim mentality. And a lot of people that I've come across look at me and say, I don't know how you would have done that. I don't know how you coped with it. Because I just chose to swim. I made the best of any bad situation. I chose to just keep myself going. I chose to keep myself progressing forward. No matter how long it took, no matter how long it will take, small wins and small victories is something that I had to learn. And that's why I'm able to sit and say, it does work. Speaking to somebody, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a colleague or whether it's a stranger, speaking to people is something that are the small little victories that will get you to that bigger thing that you want to do, which is wake up one day and feel fine.
So days where I used to go in and train the ground, and days I used to go in and I used to be really angry with myself. Why didn't I exercise? I'd come home and all of a sudden I could feel myself slipping and getting really built up and anxious. Whereas then I had somebody release back to me and basically say to me, look, be thankful that you woke up. In the situation you've been in, just be thankful that you opened your eyes. Be thankful that you went. Be thankful that you actually went and got out of bed. Be thankful that you actually had your breakfast this morning. And all those small victories have led me to this position. To be able to sit in front of people like yourselves, other people out there and say, do you know what, with all these things that I've gone through, if anybody's able to take anything away from what I say or be an example for people, is that I've never gave up on myself. And I'm still fighting certain battles every single day, but I chose not to give up on myself. And then that's where I am to this day. Thank you. I don't think I've ever done one of these before where I've nearly cried. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first and most important question is, how are you now? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good now. Like I still, I still have my days where I don't want to go to bed, but I know from myself that the days that I allow myself to have, I allow myself to feel that bit vulnerable. I allow myself to think, okay, today is not a great day, but do you know what? I'm gonna just get myself along and see how see how I get on that day. But I'm so much better off now. I am happier than I've ever been. I'm a lot more. I can. I've I've created opportunities for myself, and people have also given me opportunities and. Like I said, I've, I've found a new purpose now with what I've done football that I'm able to put my energy in and me, um, me trust in now to progress myself. What is your purpose? What is life for you at the minute? Um, I, I feel as though doing what I'm doing in football in a player care role at Newport County is something that I feel as though I've got a lot to give back to a lot of youngsters now in football that are stepping into men's football, which I knew I had. And sometimes I think it's, it's something that's really lost now in football that I look at now and say, that's my purpose and doing public speaking, getting to help other people and share my story with people is something that I find is a big purpose to me because I know there's a lot of people that can relate to it for every aspect that I've been through. It's, uh, it's hard when you've got anxiety to talk and do public speaking. And on a personal level, we had a chat outside about panic attacks and, and stuff like that. And I, I had panic attacks to the extent I was in hospital last year with it. And it's weird, isn't it? It does kind of help being in front of, of people talking about stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and that's something that a year ago I'd be sitting in my house and I'd never want to open my mouth about certain things because I felt that the more I speak about it, the more I'm reliving it and the less I want to relive it, so I won't speak about it. So... That was my whole thought process behind everything. If I eradicate and move certain things that make me feel bad, I'll take it all away. And what I was taking away was me actually living. So the fact is, I, I took it upon myself to say, I'm going to get comfortable with saying these things. I'm going to get comfortable with reliving them and speaking about them more and more because the rewards to it is I know it's going to help a lot of people. And knowing that I'm going to help a lot of people is giving me that purpose of feeling as though I'm that captain on a field again that I'm going to help somebody. I'm getting that feel of that's all I want to do is help people. And to know that that's what I have been doing and what I can do is is so rewarding just for me. Are you comfortable and happy with where you are now? Have you 
obviously football's been taken away from you at just 27 and that's a difficult thing to deal with. Are you happy with, with where you are now? Have you come to terms with all of that? Yeah, I've come to terms with a lot. Like, I think I'll always miss football. I think because at the age of eight, everybody wanted to be a professional footballer and I got to live that dream. And I'll always miss it. So still staying involved with it is something that still gives me that connection to it. But where I'm at right now, I actually couldn't be happier because I've been given opportunities by a lot of people and I've taken a lot of opportunities. But where I'm at now is just in a happy, in a happy place in life, a happy headspace where I don't have to sit and think to myself, I have all these worries all the time. I'm, I'm a lot more understanding of myself and in the strangest way possible is that I'm glad it all happened to me to put me in the position I'm in now because if I never experienced all that, I don't think I'd be able to sit up here and, and talk about it so comfortably or so openly. So to experience something like that, I've tried to turn it into a positive. Like, as I said before, I've turned it all into a positive to say, I'm going to use my bad experiences as a positive to try and help somebody else who could relate in the exact same situation. There's a lot happening this weekend. Um, there's, there's two playoff finals. One of them we won't talk about, one of them we will. Um, <laughs> one of them involves Nigel Clough with Mansfield. You've obviously played in playoff finals and played under Nigel Clough. First of all, what's Cloughy like to, to play under? You mentioned how much of a mentor he was. What, what was he like as a gaffer? Yeah, no, he was really good as a gaffer. Um, I, I suppose asking that question, depending on who you're talking to, you could get two different answers. But for me, um, I do think he, he, he's a great man. He's a great man manager. He's, he's somebody who is very straight to the point. He wants you to work hard for him, give your, give your all, and if you're good enough, you're old enough, you'll play. And if you stay loyal and well by him, he'll stay well and loyal by you, because it was, after I had this second open heart surgery, I get a text off and I was like, to see how I am. And I hadn't spoken to him for five, six years. So still having that closeness or having that loyalty I had to him at the beginning, I, I, I think he's, um, he's, he's, he's a very good manager. But again, I've seen the opposite side to him where he's had a couple of goals at me here and there when we played at Derby. But, uh, yeah, no, he, he's someone that you want to give your all for, all for because you know that. He, he treats you with so much respect if you do that. Was he old school? Because uh, from the sins, I worked the other side of the A52 at a local radio station and um, we had a Mansfield player in the other day who said he's been injured and his recovery is walking Nigel Cross dock every lunchtime. <laughs> is, um, is he old school in his approach? Yeah, no, he's very old school in, in, in his approach. He's, he's someone that I think... He allows, he allows people be themselves in a football environment, which is very difficult because in a football environment, you're meant to be a certain way or like certain music or be a certain person, whereas he just wants people to be themselves but work really hard. And he is very old school. Um, even when you were injured, you had to go out on walks. But if you had to go out on walks, you weren't allowed to walk with your hands in your pockets because you weren't walking properly. So like, he, he, he's very old school in his mannerisms. Like he, he taught me how to use a knife and fork, apparently. <laughs> when we were in the when we were in the the canteen, I'm just eating away, and he came over and goes, "Who's ever taught you to eat like that? Just shoveling it into your mouth. You meant to hold it in this way." And I was just like, "Okay." <laughs> so at the time, like he is very old school in his approach, but again, like I say, he's someone that you do well by him. He'll look after you till till the time that you need him. What would you put his? He's had success at almost every club he's been at and, and done well. What do you put that down to? I'd say the success comes from um, 
a lot of team spirit. He he gets all his players singing from the same hymn sheet, whether they're older, younger, middle aged, like he gets everybody together as one big unit. And he done that at Derby when I was coming through, I was sixteen, seventeen. There was Jeff Hendricks, Will Hughes, as Mason Bennett's, and then there was the likes of a Sean Barker and all the older experienced lads. But we were all mates, like we could all relate to each other and all have a laugh with each other. And he created that kind of team bonding and that togetherness that will get any team success because that's one of the main factors of what you need to be successful. And I think he understands that and he does it very well no matter where he goes. I've got to ask you, it's a, a sore subject at the minute, but three years ago today, Derby County were up, I believe. Um, what were your experiences of playing in a playoff final and how did you find the day? What the first 88 minutes ago? <laughs> um, no, playing, playing at Wembley, it was probably one of the best experiences in my life. Like getting to the whole build up, the being in the changing room, go out and warm up and you see the stadium in itself and you're just thinking this is this is why I play football, like it's the best occasion you can play in front of. And then again getting to lead a team out at Wembley was such a great experience. And like I say, we I look back at the final now and don't really regret much other than probably I wish I had a different referee because he sent me off. But um, yeah, no, I, I just loved every minute of it and like I say, that, that, that memories now in football that I think a lot of people take for granted. Everybody wants the, now in this new age, the Instagram followers, everybody wants the fame and everyone wants the, the big money mills. Whereas for me, I look at football and now, I look at football now and I tell people it's about the memories. And if you make the best memories that you can, nobody can take that away because your money will come and go. Your fame will come and go being a top footballer, but the memories will always live longer with you. And that's what I try and reiterate to so many people because it's kind of getting lost a little bit that people at higher end clubs feel as though that they're too big to go out to a League 2 team or a League 1 team or a conference team. Whereas I said, they, they could be some of the best memories that you ever make. So make the best memories you can in such a short career because trust me, it will live longer with you than anything else. Matty Longstaff, who's gone from playing in the Premier League for Newcastle, has gone on into Bansfield and done exactly that and got to a playoff final. Exactly, and, and he's, he, he could be a prime example of that. We had we had a, um, a young lad who was playing at Arsenal now, Ben White. He came from Brighton in the Championship and came down on loan to us for a year. Done really well, done well in FA Cup games, done well in Carabao Cup games against Leeds United, and then ended up because he took that chance of taking a step backwards, played for Leeds United in the Championship, and now we signed 50 million for Arsenal. Now, if, if stories like that aren't of people like to take their ego out, out of it for one second, go prove yourself. That's what that's the way I see it is. Everybody can speak and say how good they are, but if you really feel as though you're that good, go out and prove yourself and, and make that name for yourself. And that's something that I think a lot of people are afraid to do, but also when they do do it, it'll be the best time of their life. Just, just finally on, on Wembley and, and playoff finals, the last two of these that I've done, um, yourself and Jamie Ward, both sent off in playoff finals. Um, I, don't know if it's something, I don't know if it's something I'm doing. Uh, what, what, how did that happen and what came about? Yeah, like the game was going actually really well. Um, we probably should have won the game. Uh, we had a couple of chances that didn't quite go our way. So then there was a couple of fouls that happened. So then the next foul that came was someone running into me um, and the referee said, there's been too many fouls in this game, you're getting a yellow card. I said, it's the first foul that made it and he goes, yeah, but 
you're the downfall of everything else. Like you're the last person to get it. So I kind of looked at it and thought, all right, I'll just take it on the chin. But I wasn't really happy. And then the second one was a striker who just really, really done well in what he done. And I was standing on the halfway line. They cleared the ball over my head. And in Wembley, you think there's a long way to run here, so I didn't really want to run. <laughs> so I put my arm around him this side. And as I started to turn with him, he kind of locked my arm in under him to make it look like I was really holding on to him. So as I tried to let go, he just fell down. I fell down over him. The referee came over and gave me a second yellow card in the 89th minute. So again, it wasn't really... It was a bittersweet day. As great as it was... Um, being at Wembley, getting sent off and watching the extra time in the tunnel was probably one of the hardest things that I ever had to do. And then they scored in the 118th minute to go 1-0, which was also another devastating thing to happen, which was another downside. But again, it just fit, like, it kind of just put that fire back inside and said, okay, next season I'm going to rectify that and I'm going to get people back on side. And again, um, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed Wembley. But again, I wish the memories were just that small bit better. <laughs> <laughs> on on the pitch, is that a career low point usually at Wembley? On the pitch, I'd say, yeah, that was probably a, a low point because we went through such a, a good season. We got to the fifth round of the FA Cup. We played Manchester City. We beat Leicester. We beat Middlesbrough. We, we were doing so well and we kind of defied our odds to get into the playoffs. Um, we got in on the last day of the season. So we done it like the typical Newport way, everything's left last minute. And then we played against Mansfield in the semi-final, beat them on penalties. So you're just thinking, this it's all gone so well, like what's the worst that can happen? We're doing really well here. And then when you play at Wembley and a couple of chances don't go in, you start thinking, maybe it's not our day, but we're playing really well. And then once the red card came, again, I think it was the first time I cried in a football scenario because I felt as though I've let everyone down. I felt as though I let my family down, I let the teammates down, I let the manager down, I let all of Newport down and I didn't know how to take that because I've never experienced that and I really felt it's all my fault but the Newport fans in all fairness to them stuck by me through it all and said look these things happen just come back next year and we go again and we go again and it was having the support and, and the build up from the Newport fans that kind of, as I said, fit, like, lit that fire back inside to say, okay, yeah, I'm ready and hit the ground running. And a career hard point, a hard point must be in the last minute to, to save Newport from dropping out of the football league, chesting one down and volleying it in the corner. Where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, um, I don't know where it came from. A lot of people still don't think it was me. But again, it was, it was a career high point. Like, it was my very first professional goal. And I didn't really understand the significance of it. But when I stayed at Newport, I found out that if they had got relegated, they would have ended up folding and they wouldn't have had a club because they didn't have the funds to keep themselves going. I found out that people would have lost their jobs from the academy to the community people and a lot of staff in the force team. So there was so much more to it than I, never, than I ever knew. I just ran off like a madman thinking I scored my first goal. This is great. But... The significance of it is why it makes a career highlight. But again, like I've had so many great memories of football where I do think that one memory in itself is something that will live with me forever. Before we have a quick break, uh, it's going to be a jump-packed second half because it's going to be a question from everybody here and I've still got loads of art to ask you as well. So 
But I want to end with something I ask everyone who played for Nigel Clough. What's your favourite Nigel Clough story? <laughs> um, we're recording this, by the way. Don't get me sued. No, I, I like. I think some things that obviously our, our best one said with Nigel Clough and, and how we can say things. But I think some someone like me. The best memories of him, like he's he's someone who he keeps himself to himself a lot and loves cricket, loves baseball. But my first experience of it was walking down a corridor, and he used to always either carry a tennis ball or a cricket ball. And as he's thrown around, you could walk straight past him and you hear your name being called. And as you turn around, there's just a cricket ball coming straight for you, <laughs> and you have to catch it. And if you don't catch it, he really gets the hump with you if you don't catch it, and he just goes, just keep walking. So I'll, I'll never forget that. And then there was a time I played in a reserve game on the training ground again. He was standing on the top of the hill in the training ground. And I got taken off at half-time because I just needed to play 45 minutes for fitness. And as I come off, all I hear is, Dopey. And I look over and there's a cricket ball just coming out of the sky for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had to catch it. And I'm only had coming off after playing 45 minutes. But again, I had to catch it and you had to throw it back to him. And if you don't throw it back to him, again, he gets the hump with you. So, little stories like that is, is kind of what he's like. We're going to have a quick break now and then we'll open it up. There's a few more questions from me and then all the questions from yourselves that you want to, to ask AB. But for the time being, Mark O'Brien.